0: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. In the 80s and 90s, San Francisco was one of the first cities in the country to establish a needle exchange program. In 2000, the San Francisco Health Commission made harm reduction an official public health policy. Instead of an abstinence-only approach, harm reduction prioritizes preventing bad outcomes for people using drugs like overdose deaths. Along with strong community organizing and advocacy, it's those kinds of efforts that have positioned the city as a nationwide leader in harm reduction. But another city seems to have taken the lead, at least according to Chronicle columnist Heather Knight. She and photographer Gabrielle Lurie recently went to New York to observe something that San Francisco hasn't been able to create, supervised consumption sites where people suffering from addiction can use drugs under supervision. You can read Heather's column about what she and Gabrielle saw in New York at sfchronicle.com slash drug sites. In their opinion, if San Francisco followed New York's lead, it would help lessen the growing death toll from drug overdoses in the city. In this year alone, nearly 150 people have died through the end of March. To figure out what's working on the other side of the country, Heather and Gabrielle traveled to New York and met with harm reduction advocates who work in the facilities and with former New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, who made those places a reality. They also spoke to New Yorkers, who are benefiting from the supervised consumption sites, people like Jorge Vasquez.
1: It's a good place. It's a good place, you know, because a lot of people don't got where to
0: where to go or even to who to talk to. So you come in a place like this, that everybody's the, everybody's the same. No, here there's nobody better than nobody, see?
2: And Sharon Scott. I use the site a lot, and it's cool. It's the best thing that could happen in New York, and I think uh, they should make many more sites like this. I like that um, that they don't judge. You know, they make sure people get high safe. You know, they have the supplies all the time, not sometime, all the time. New
0: York's been operating two facilities since November, so why can't San Francisco get on board? The city has spent more than a decade debating whether to risk the legal ramifications of opening supervised consumption sites. In her latest column, Heather Knight says it's time to stop debating and do the right thing. She and photographer Gabrielle Lurie are here to talk about what they observed in New York. Heather and Gabrielle, thanks for joining me on Fifth Emission.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for having us, Cecilia. So you both flew to the other side of the country to observe supervised consumption sites in New York. What questions were you looking to have answered, Heather?
3: Well, um, I've been following San Francisco's very long consideration of opening one of these sites here. And when another city finally did it, New York City, I wanted to see how they work. And so Gabrielle and I flew to New York City and were able to tour both of the new sites there. One is in East Harlem, the other a few miles north in Washington Heights. I wanted to see what is controversial about these sites. Do they make sense? What would it mean for San Francisco to open one? And we spent four days talking to a whole bunch of people who work there, use the sites, neighbors, critics, and it was really informative and I think left us both with the feeling that San Francisco should give these a try.
1: Yeah, and from a visual perspective, I wanted to see what the landscape looked like. Were people outside? Were people drugged out on the sidewalk? Where were people clustering? And it was interesting to see that there really wasn't much of that at all.
0: And describe for me, Heather, what these sites look like once you go inside and and what services are available for people who go there.
3: They both look like just kind of regular community centers. They both have a large room that's sort of like a a lounge where people are spending time watching TV, drinking coffee, chatting. They're just regular neighborhood facilities. And then they both have a room in the back where you can use drugs under supervision. And the whole point is to spot any early signs of an overdose so people can intervene. And these are very highly trained harm reduction specialists who know a lot about the very early signs of overdose and, and how to stop those and offer a lot of clean supplies like needles, cookers, and other ways to reduce the harm caused by these drugs. I think we were both impressed by how these facilities
0: work. And how is New York able to get these facilities up and running? How are they able to operate?
3: So cities around the country have been talking about this for many years, and mayors have been consulting with each other. They exist in Canada Australia and all over Europe and have for decades and have been very successful in those countries. No site in any of these other countries has ever reported losing somebody inside of them. Mm -hmm. The mayors have talked about how to do this, but it's technically might be against federal statute and the crack house statute, which um, prohibits, you know, running facilities where illicit drug use is happening. And so it is a risk legally. Nobody would try this under Donald Trump as president, but they all felt more confident when Joe Biden was elected. Mm. And we actually met with Mayor Bill de Blasio, who just turned out in New York at the end of December. And he was the one who finally said, I'm just going to do this, take our chances and see what happens. And I think he felt more confident since he was almost out of office anyway. It was one of his last acts. And he was able to work with this nonprofit called On Point NYC, which ran harm reduction facilities. And they were willing to to try this and open the overdose prevention rooms on site. And the city promised legal backing, if anything goes awry, as well as support and advocacy.
0: And so, Gabrielle, during Both you and Heather's time inside these facilities, you were able to observe how these facilities work, the services that people were able to provide. And that was because you were sort of guided through the facility through a woman named Alsane Mazone, who's one of the harm reduction specialists
2: there. Let's listen to what she had to say about why she works there. But I cannot wait no more for people to make laws that will help these people. I have to get in here into the dirty and the nitty gritty. I have to come down here and help my people and pull them out because the one thing I'm giving them more than Narcon and Naloxone is hope. You give a person an ounce of hope? Oh my goodness. It's incredible. It's like water to a thirsty plant. It's, it's crazy. And that's what we do when we bring them back.
0: So, Gabrielle, tell me a little bit more about Mazone's role at the center. What does her day-to-day work look like?
1: Mazon is definitely a mother figure. The space is very clinical. I would say it's similar to if you have a doctor's appointment for dialysis and you come in, you're on a list and you get inside, you have a stall. And she's a lot Like a nurse, but she's also a mom, you know, she'll come give you a hug, she'll check out your hair, she'll ask you funny questions. She really treats you like she could be your mother, you're her child, and whatever you need help with, she will help you to get there. That is very gratifying to
2: me as a mother. It's just a human nature to want to help another child when you're a mother. You don't see color, you don't see race You just see a child and you see a child that even though he's not in the best of conditions or running the best of ways or made some real bad decisions, I'm sure he has a mother that loves him to death.
1: At the same time, in the back of her head, she's got all these things that she's thinking about, right? Like... What's their complexion looking like? Are their eyes rolling back in their head? What are their veins looking like? She listens to their comments, like if they say that it's burning when they're using, then she's concerned that maybe they're having an overdose. So she's very keen as to what's happening around her, but she's also very warm. She spends most of her day really observing and making sure that everyone is safe.
0: And Heather, Mayor London Breed likes to point to the new linkage center in the UN Plaza, and that connects people to resources to fight their drug addictions. It's sort of the big, shiny harm reduction strategy that San Francisco leadership likes to sort of point to. But what's missing there that you observed inside these New York facilities?
3: Well, it's hard to say because she and her administration will not let journalists inside to actually see what's going on, which is very different than the New York sites where they embraced us and they really wanted us to see, they really want to spread the word about how effective these sites are and they want them replicated in other cities. But one difference is that from what I've heard, it just lacks that clinical aspect that Gabrielle was talking about. In the New York site, before you can go into that back room, you have to fill out a lot of paperwork. They really want to track who you are, what drugs are you using. They're really trying to look at this like scientifically and medically and use that information to find out how this is working. Is it working? Could it be replicated? What I've heard about the Linkage Center is that there's this fenced-in patio that's covered in tarps and tents so nobody from the outside can see exactly what's happening. The New York site, the East Harlem one, has doctors and nurses there and a lot of other offerings. Like I say, I can't say exactly what's at the Linkage Center because we can't get in. Mm -hmm.
1: From my experience, the New York site feels very organized. There's an answer to every question. You know, if you're not feeling well, there's a meditation center you can go to. You can get a massage. If your clothes are soiled, they'll give you clothes and they'll wash your clothes. If you have an abscess, you can go to the doctor. So there's every option available to you to make you comfortable. And I think from what I've heard about the linkage center, you Mm -hmm. are basically using in the same fashion that you would be right outside the fence mm-hmm. with the exception of having someone watching you and maybe getting a fruit snack. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it feels to me like a band-aid for the bigger problem.
3: I think another difference is that we spend a lot of time on the sidewalks outside the facilities just to see are there concerns that this will attract violent-prone drug dealers to the sites, then we didn't see that at all. There didn't appear to be drug dealing, drug buying happening outside. Whereas in UN Plaza, where the linkage center is based, there are a lot of drug dealers that are very blatant. You can see police officers nearby who don't do anything about it. So it does seem like that has attracted that element, whereas the New York sites have not.
0: And how do the facilities handle overdoses?
3: We didn't witness one, but we were able to join Al Sain at her apartment the morning right after she'd saved a life. And she described in a lot of detail what that was like. It was a man in his 30s who injected heroin and complained that the site burned
2: eventually he started to sort of um, slowly pass out you know his eyes closed down they sort of turn back a little bit you see the eyeballs go back and look up trying to look up and um discoloration in the mouth and not and not respond as you call their name as you you know rough them up a little bit you know shake them up a little bit and say hey wake up and he didn't
3: One of the things I found most fascinating there was how they do not, like in San Francisco, go straight for lots of big doses of Narcan. Um, Mm. They're a lot more gentle in how they try to reverse overdoses. In that case, it was so severe, they did need to use three doses of Narcan, but they use a 10th of a regular dose, at least in the beginning, because they really want to allow the person to gently write out their high, and Narcan will make you go into withdrawal. And so if you do a big full dose, especially multiple doses, like we, We've seen on the sidewalks of the Tenderloin Mm -hmm. that sends you into an immediate withdrawal and you feel horrible and dope sick. So when you wake up, you immediately want more fentanyl, Mm. whereas in the New York sites, they want you to ride out your high, not race back for a lot more drugs. And so I thought that was so much more effective. And sure enough, she was able to save this man's life and and he's okay.
0: More with Heather Knight and Gabrielle Lurie after a quick break. We'll hear what former New York Mayor Bill de Blasio had to say about opening up the supervised consumption sites. And Heather and Gabrielle share how their trip to the East Coast changed their perspective on San Francisco's fentanyl crisis. You can read Heather's column about all of this at sfchronicle.com slash drug sites. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. We're back with Chronicle columnist Heather Knight and photographer Gabrielle Lurie. They recently traveled to New York to observe how supervised consumption sites are working over there. Gabrielle, folks listening to this could be shaking their heads and thinking, well, this is simply condoning illegal behavior. And they're not completely wrong. San Francisco and other cities are worried about federal raids and lawsuits when it comes to opening sites like these. But none of this felt clandestine to you, right? In New York, people felt comfortable going in and out of the facilities.
1: I think really at the top, they set the tone for how the space Is warm and comforting, but also that there are rules. And if you break those rules, like if you pass drugs along to someone else, you're out for a day. And it's a little bit like a timeout. And um, I think that they are very structured. There's this sense of respect that I just don't feel in San Francisco. So there's this mutual respect that they all have among each other. And I think that's what makes it so successful.
3: We also heard from several people who use drugs there that the facility has kind of gently eased them into using less drugs. Almost everyone seemed to be on that path of using less and eventually getting to the point where I think many of them are hoping that they can kick this all together, but there's not any judgment. Mm -hmm. Like it's really like meeting them where they're at. And they all seemed on this path of using less, getting their lives together. Like it seems to be really gradually helping people turn their lives around.
0: Heather, you noted in your piece that Mayor Breed at one point even toured a site in Vancouver, but like you said, San Francisco hasn't made any moves on that, and you had the opportunity to sit down with former Mayor Bill de Blasio, like you mentioned. Let's hear a little bit about what he had to say about authorizing the nation's first supervised consumption site. When I first looked at it, I had my own hesitations, but the more I understood, all over the world, you saw... Amazing track record of overdoses reversed, lives saved, people brought back from what would have been a certain death. Given the chance to turn their lives around, to get treatment, to get help You know, in a medical setting, it made all the sense in the world. I was very cognizant of the fact that some place in America had to start this. It, it was working all over Western Europe. It was working in Canada, some place had to be the breakthrough. There had to be an American city that could prove this would work. And I knew we could do it in New York City. So, Heather, why do you think New York got to be the breakthrough city? Did it just boil down to Mayor de Blasio's leadership?
3: Yeah, the stars really aligned there. He talked about how he wouldn't have done this under Donald Trump. Everybody I talked to said, no way were they going to do it. Then, but between Joe Biden being president, and then there's a new governor in New York, Bill De Blasio, and and Andrew Cuomo famously do not get along at all. So when there was a more friendly governor with a health director who also supports safe consumption sites, and then this um, nonprofit was willing to be the one to actually do it. Um, another small difference is that in San Francisco, there's an elected city attorney, whereas de Blasio had his own attorneys who could say, we are doing this um, and you have to represent us if anything goes wrong. And I think that you know this showed that almost everything that worked for New York could work here. We have the nonprofits like Glide and HealthRite360 that want to be the ones to do this. We have a governor, Gavin Newsom, who I can't imagine would get in the way. We obviously have the crisis and it just seems like You know, this is so much more humane than allowing people to die on the sidewalks or in SRR hotel rooms by themselves. This just seems like a better answer.
0: And Gabrielle, you've captured really harrowing images of people using drugs on the streets of San Francisco. You've even captured people dying from overdoses. And your award-winning photography has helped shape the dialogue and the way that people understand San Francisco's drug crisis. Can you compare that experience to what it was like to shoot photos of people using drugs inside these New York facilities?
1: Yeah. It's funny because when I photograph on the streets here, there's tension. It's very raw and gritty. I'm always concerned that something may happen and sometimes something does and I'm yelling to passerbys to call 911. Here I felt very safe. I felt, again, it was clinical. I could have been in a hospital. I felt a little bit more like I was invading their privacy because they were there for an appointment. It was a bit of a challenge, but I connected with, you know, a few people there and they were, they were really, a lot of them were really excited to be a part of this story. They were happy to share with us what their experience was like. They were happy that they could use in a safe way and they wanted to promote it.
3: I think one of the big differences in looking at Gabrielle's photos of New York versus San Francisco, whenever she's able to capture um, an overdose happening on a sidewalk in San Francisco, I'm always fascinated to look at the expressions of all the people around who are seeing this like horrific event happening mm-hmm. in public in the middle of the day. And just those onlookers facial expressions and the paramedics, they just look so traumatized. And that is fully removed from the New York sites. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody says it's so much better to not be doing this in front of random people, especially children. Just the sight that we've all seen of passed out bodies in Soma and Tenderloin is shocking and disturbing. And especially seeing an overdose is traumatizing, even if you just are the pedestrian happening to see it as you pass by. So that is just fully removed Mm -hmm. in New York, which I think makes a huge difference.
0: So Heather, I mean, what I'm hearing is that there's less traumatic things that people can witness out on the streets, but what do general New Yorkers feel about this? If we tried to open something like this in San Francisco, I would imagine hours and hours <laughs> oh of public comment <laughs> as it is whenever we try to change anything in the city. So, I mean, how have New York residents responded to facilities opening in their own neighborhoods?
3: It's been really mixed. We did find some critics. There's a preschool right across the street from the site in East Harlem. And I talked to several moms there when they were picking up their little kids. And none of them are wild about this facility mm. being right across the street from their kids' preschool. But none of them said they would consider removing their kids from the school or anything. They f- seemed to find it, you know, problematic and an and inconvenience, but not – the worst thing in the world. They did say it's better than having it on the sidewalks where their kids could see it. Mm-hmm. We did talk to the founders of the Greater Harlem Coalition who live in the neighborhood and they did make some very valid points which is that a lot of drug treatment uh, facilities are concentrated in Harlem far more than in wealthier whiter neighborhoods. Very similar to San Francisco where, you know, the Tenderloin is treated as a containment zone and mm-hmm. all the services are there in Soma. And places like Noe Valley or the Marina get to say, no, we don't want it here. And they almost always get their way. The critics said that, you know, it fuels a stereotype that drug addiction is only a Black or a Latino problem and that they think it'd be a lot fairer if these types of facilities were all over New York and in the whiter and wealthier neighborhoods as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So, you know... San Francisco was one of the first cities in the U.S. to build up a needle exchange program in the 80s and 90s. And for so long now, San Francisco has been known as the leader in harm reduction. So I want to ask both of you, what's your takeaway now? Is that still true? So Gabrielle, what's your takeaway now? Did it change the way that you think about the
1: fentanyl crisis in San Francisco? Completely changed the way I think about the fentanyl crisis. Unfortunately, I think we are very behind in talking to the organizers and leaders of On Point NYC. There is just this way in which they break through bureaucracy and um, politics. And they really set aside kind of any small petty issues that they may have to just head on deal with the issues. And I feel that we are stuck. We're you know, the mothers are fighting the, you know, politicians and, you know, politicians are arguing with each other. And it 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 feels like this kind of cycle in which everyone's just arguing um, over whether harm reduction works or it doesn't. It's really sad because the people that are using drugs are the ones who kind of don't have the ability to get themselves better. And they're the ones who are, who are kind of suffering from all this fighting that's going on. So, You know, to me, it seems like it would be really great if everyone could Mm -hmm. kind of band together and say, whatever works, let's do it.
3: I totally agree with Gabrielle. This really changed my perspective. And I totally agree. San Francisco has become this city where everything takes way too long. The process just takes forever. Tons of arguing. Everybody knows better than everybody else. And you don't get that sense in New York at all. It really felt like everybody's Mm -hmm. playing for the same team, which is addressing the overdose crisis, making drug users' lives better, and everyone's working towards the same goal, whereas everybody here in San Francisco is just squabbling all the time and fighting on Twitter. San Francisco used to be the place where things were tried first. We were always proud, like we were going to do domestic partnerships first, same-sex marriages first, needle exchange first, universal healthcare first. I can't think of something we've tried first in a long time. Mm. I think we need to get that spirit back. It really resonated with me when I was talking to Bill de Blasio and he quoted you know, that Frank Sinatra song, New York, New York. If I can make it here, I'll make it anywhere. He said, if we can make this work in New York, it can work anywhere. And I really think that's true. This model is so- Great, and why aren't we doing it? Why is it better to let people die on the sidewalks of the Tenderloin?
0: Well, Heather and Gabrielle, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for your reporting and sharing your perspectives with us.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: Heather Knight is a columnist at The Chronicle, and Gabrielle Lurie is a photographer. Their story about lessons from New York supervised consumption sites is online now at sfchronicle.com slash drug sites, that's D-R-U-G-S-I-T-E-S, The audio interviews you heard in this piece were recorded by Heather Knight. Thanks to Karen Creighton for editing this episode, Nick Eilerson for his production help, and thanks to you for listening.